0: Welcome everyone, I hope this finds you well. So tonight I want to dive into each of Elden Ring's creators, uh, Miyazaki and George R.R. R. Martin, and their individual and collective kinship with not only the sagas of old, Nibblom in Miyazaki's case, and The War of the Roses, in um, George RR R. R. Martin's case, but also a chief influence for them both, and to the point of, I believe, a reference in Elden Ring's name itself, the Lord of the Rings. I have um, just come off of watching, for the first time in a while, the Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers, Fellowship yesterday and Two Towers tonight. And as I was going along, with the intervening years since the last time I watched them, the motifs that I see of not only Dark Strolls, but so even if in even if we've only had a small glimpse of *Elden Ring*, the motifs, even in subtle ways, um, with *The Lord of the Rings*, is truly well it let's just put it this way, I, after 1,700 calories, three hours of treadmill movie watching, film watching, I had to record this. So also, I guess oxygen to the brain maybe helps with this sort of thing when you're making connections. So on a separate note, I uh, have the Lord of the Rings podcast, which we're building up to proceeding further with. We've locked album art, um, a few other things have fallen in place, and leading up to the San Diego Comic-Con teaser trailer, which I believe is on its way, either in a few months at the July event, the digital event, or, as I think will probably be the case, for the in-person Thanksgiving event to really just knock everyone by the wayside and just have everyone's sort of collective sense of everything that COVID has brought, dread, worry, you know, jadedness, everything melt away into this um, new beginning for that for that series, for that world, for Tolkien's world. But I'm certain that a, a lot of folk have um, engaged with and have tapped into Elden ring for what it represents, which is i I believe. Two authors who have each defined their distinctive own universes in the fantasy realm, in the historically tinged fantasy realm, because one thing I overarchingly picked up throughout watching Lord of the Rings was the sense that everything that we love about it came as a byproduct of a single mission, um, which was to create a historical document. This is Peter Jackson. He said, "We're not telling a fantasy story. We're retelling history. This is this happened." Professor Tolkien, he peered into Britain's forgotten, erased by history past, and we are we we are rebuilding it. And I believe a lot of fantasy um, loses itself because of the tongue-in-cheek aspect of winking at the camera and saying, oh, we're a bunch of elves and orcs, and it's it's all a giant fantasy, which, interestingly, disconnects people. It it prevents the immersion. It prevents the escapism. I Very ironically, if you think about it, the more you lean into escapism, the more it fails. The thing that grounds escapism is reality, is feeling as though you could step into that world. And... Though each of their worlds have, in some ways, polar directions and polar goals, with Miyazaki it is to tell a story that is scattered and still peaceable together, you know. As uh, Redgrave with The Pale Blood has proven. A little note about the Bloodborne podcast, I'm working on an edition of The Pale Blood Hunt that will be a downloadable PDF, will be made in the style of the in-game tomes. And the hope is that in a year or so we'll be able to present to Redgrave an in-lore, in-world, feasible tome version of his Pale Blood Hunt, complete with leather binding, etc. You know. That's the goal with the Bloodborne podcast. I've been fortunate enough to Secure the URLs on Instagram of simply insert word podcast for many things, and that continues, including Elden Ring podcast, Secura podcast, Dark Souls podcast, Demon Souls podcast, and of course, Elden Ring podcast. With Elden Ring, the Lord of the Rings, the ring element. There's a sense, even though there's excitement around the unveiling of the Second Age, there's a sense, as one of the most core at my heart, tolkien aphiles, Tolkien-aficionados, lover, lovers of that world, that's me. It's in the interest of the unknown that I am actually more excited about Elden Ring than anything this year, in terms of reveals. I don't think it'll premiere this year. I think that'll be something for early next year. Though there is a chance that to... but only to... This is me sort of consulting with myself before I even say it, because words have power, but I'll say it. In September, it will be ten years since the release of Dark Souls, and if Bandai want to make an event of Elden Ring, Coming out that month, or at least an event that draws a parallel between the two, and along the lines of ten years after this genre emerged with the name that we have it, have for it now, um, where the Souls like really took on its existence after Dark Souls, Demon Souls was a warm-up of sorts, which has been beautifully remade by Blue Point. I hope Bluepoint are hired for the Bloodborne remaster. <laughs> There's even a chance that after a few beautiful remakes that they may be entrusted with a Bloodborne sequel. I would love that. There's a little tantalizing aside for you to percolate on. What I would love is, is for there to be an event, not the release, an event in September that reveals a December release date for Elden Ring. Even in the course of my sentence earlier of saying that it would come out next year, one can't help but allow themselves to hype out a bit, and I can imagine everyone being very, very excited for playing Elden Ring over the holidays as a big catharsis after 2020. However, as is the case even though some on the subreddit, when I've voiced this with them, I respectfully disagree, but their take is that the the situation with Cyberpunk doesn't apply to Elden Ring, and I believe it does, which is to say that if you lead with anything other, if you define release dates with anything other than the work benefiting most, and what benefits the work most, say, for example, if you're defining a release date by a marketing opportunity, such as, oh, 10 years, Elden Ring, Dark Souls have to release this month, the only thing that should ever dis- dictate when a game comes out um, and when reveals happen is when it's ready, quite simply. And that is what I'll leave you with on that front in terms of release speculation for tonight. But uh, I'll lead into and I'll remember as chronologically as possible, and even stretching into Return of the King, we'll just do a glide through of motifs. Now, I believe there's a fairly strong chance of Elden Ring incorporating a prologue, as has been the case with Dark Souls and Dark Souls 2 and 3. Bloodborne, a separate thing. No cinematic, you know, CG animated telling, and uh, Secular broke with that a bit to a degree with a cinematic of some kind. But the strong evidence is that with um Oh Elder well Ring. With this narration there's a strong chance that there will be as was beautifully boldly now we see many years hence, almost twenty years hence, since um the Fellowship of the Ring, just how many bold and given a fox choices that title made. There are so many scenes throughout Lord of the Rings which are, as I mentioned, this Historically leaning, dead serious telling, where there's no hamminess at all. And to Miyazaki's credit and to George R. 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 Martin's credit, they both have a grounded that's the thing that unites them both. They may have, a, you know, Miyazaki the scattered teller, George R. 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 Martin the, you know, reams upon reams of details and family trees, very detailed teller. Polar concepts of the levels of um, hand holding, I suppose, with the storyteller. I guess that would be too harsh on towards George, there's no hand-holding so much as many elements moving in terms of you know, psycho-visual you know, density you know, hopefully that made some kind of sense, which is to say that when you're wandering through one of Miyazaki's world there's a lot of experiential as in directly you with the world going on, whereas when you're navigating George R. R. Martin's world there's a lot of history in your mind that you're holding from many names that you're remembering because there's just such a bountifulness of lore. So that separates them, but what unites them is the groundedness, the, the low fantasy aspect. Um, and with Tolkien being high fantasy, I actually contest that because he is a progenitor figure in this genre. He draws on Beowulf, he draws on ancient myths, but uh, in terms of the mythopoeic aspect, the, the paracosm crafting, like the, the making of one's own universe, he is a formative figure alongside C.S. Lewis, etc. And in that endeavor, he strove for absolute realism, absolute. Um, it's almost like he was a balance between the two, you know. He didn't go as. Um, well, to rethink it, really, if we think about what is presented in the films, certainly, but there's no outdoing in terms of um, detail, what Tolkien was able to achieve. Had to actively redact my own words there, because as much as I was ready to hand it to George R. R. Martin for most detail, certainly he's developed a lot of work compared to um, Tolkien, who developed the Silmarillion, many notes, many um, notes that were then carried on by his son, Christopher. In terms of body of work, I think, George, out of the three um, lines of dialogue written, entries of codices written, that's George. I'll, I'll uh, perhaps arguably, but I'll, I'll hand him that. So, um, that's something overarchingly that I'll mention about uh, the three. These three worlds, Dark Souls, Tolkien, and Song of Ice and Fire. Um, But to pivot back into our kind of glide over of the three films, we'll go from the films, and then if anything book-related, it'll come up naturally. Um, Setting up the history of the Elden Ring. uh, Without obviously going too closely towards Tolkien's world and uh, Peter Jackson's telling, I could see something very special happening in terms of setting up what Richard from sinclair law has alluded to which is the trees each realm having these trees each side of this plinth the eight sides i believe having a tree of its own and an arresting visually arresting prologue it would be indeed the white trees Um, a reference itself to the white tree of gondor berserk as well we recently started up the berserk podcast feeds Developing artwork, developing all of that is in progress too, and those will interweave episodes with uh, because of how almost siblings they are, you know, Dark Souls and Berserk. Um, I would say there's some thematic um, inspiration to Miyazaki from Berserk, definitely. I think visual motifs, definitely. But I I think a lot of it is coming just from Miyazaki, and I, I believe the most you know, knows who it is, knows what it's saying, kind of fantasy, any work really, is simply the author themselves as they are unto themselves, one, and then the alchemy of them encountering the world. Everything they've experienced, everything they've read—from sorcery, from Ultima, from all of these influences, Dungeons and Dragons, everything—this big swirling cocktail, and then spoken through this unique vessel, which is Miyazaki, and then those almost those same influences, which is probably why they came together as sort of bros in this in this um, in this method. I think another word could be uh, the same music instruments playing in a different hall. Like different halls have. Um, different musical qualities to the walls and stuff, so for example George R. R. Martin, same orchestra of, of influences playing and the, the sounds bouncing off the walls there's like lots of high detailed arches you know, and then for Miyazaki same, you know, musician um, and instruments of influence, and then it's just perhaps something more desolate more scattered and it has a different kind of timber and quality, but it's going to be a powerful interweaving and all we've seen is a is a a mere glimpse. And there's a fair chance, as uh, Tamura Hussein has alluded to, that there will be many differences between what we saw in the trailer and what we will eventually see. And I'm thinking of a parallel with Project Beast and Bloodborne. I would say there is a 60% resemblance to Project Beast in the final incarnation. I think there was a lot of iteration that made it finally discover this very distinct personality. And I believe the same with Elden Ring. Already motifs have sprung up, as I mentioned in the last episode, of these distinctive horned dragons, the holodouch, which is remarkable. If, if We just want to take a pause and recognize that this is three extremely visually diverse dark fantasy titles. Um, into this, this is over what I say, yeah, over a decade of working with artists, as is important to recognize this wonderful, criminally unsung, from software art team, which I will be making a post in tribute to them shortly following this on all of the Miyazaki Network subnetwork um, podcasts, just sort of really drawing love and attention to their names, which I think there may be a. A cultural thing at play where it's much harder to find and uh, the individual artist pages of productions in japan where the emphasis is on the product which i think is overarchingly beautiful truly i think the standouts obviously are the Yoshitaka Amano's and the Akihiko Yoshida's and the Yoji Kawas, but i think there's some still embedded measure Tetsuya Nomura's etc um still some embedded measure of um uh, oh and also Kamikurio, who i'm who's really entering my my consciousness see the final fantasy podcast on instagram he's kamikuryo is just something else so please please look into into that artist and also obviously um one of the og kojimas is ayami kojima from castlevania apart from these handful i think of exceptions uh, from software is it om- is impenetrable it's i'll look up the artists on Moby, on, on Moby games and i'll keyword search each of their pages and they just i don't know if they're not allowed to have their own art station pages etc but they make it difficult and it obviously adds to the mystique and adds to that sense of um that willy wonka quality of you know it's all created behind closed doors you know and there's there's no individual credit it's all sort of shared across this the working sort of body of the team which only stokes my desire for like a two disc making of of Elden Ring and I'm hoping because of this I suppose you could say western element through the George R. R. Martin team um, involvement hopefully it will mean that there's an opening up of slightly not not to the to the ruin of the mystery as miyazaki really v- values in terms of the power i think that he recognizes a youth in mystery in an, in being able to consistently ignite the imagination because with nothingness you can re- come you can come back to nothingness and then fill it with something else because your sort of vessel of life has been filled with different energies different experiences and so you'll bring you bring yourself A different version of yourself to it every time and that's very much what i did with this viewing tonight of of uh, the two towers after yesterday's fellowship um i want to touch now as we gently drift back to this glide over on what i believe will be i think has been alluded to um an absence of anything i i don't think there'll be anything in that sort of a sphere of um, levity, I feel like, saying there won't be any sort of jovial kind of villages of sorts like the Shire, um, unless there's going to be some unexpected reprieve via um, either artist, either of the writers, I could see them wanting to throw a spanner in the works in terms of audience expectations, and having some kind of bright and happy kind of castle town environment in Elden Ring would be a bit of a change, maybe to show Gosh, I don't think there's been a smile in any of these, um, maybe apart from Patches. <laughs> and there's pretty few and far between smiles in George R. R. Martin as well. One thing Tolkien does is, even though the tellings from Peter Jackson are quite dark, there are some smiles and there is some level levity, you know. Um, so that would be nice. We will see with that. Um what's wonderful about the mind's eye cinema and about these early episodes is that anything can go anywhere and you'll see a parallel to this in the very first episode of the podcast back in 2015 of march um we recently celebrated that recently on an episode called egg friends with my friend marina uh yeah five years of the podcast and episode one was bloodborne episode two was bloodborne part two and episode three was bloodborne part three so no the, uh, the 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 DNA of the podcast it it began from the the sort of primordial ooze of this super fertile super ever interpretable evergreen psychoscape of of uh, Miyazaki's approach to storytelling, and it bears it bears um, repeating, uh, and it's it's proven over the years that that's. Each of these games, and that's why each of the podcasts I had did not hesitate in setting each of them up. Sekiro is going to have its own separate community and legacy. People talking about the Interior Ministry and the Fountainhead Palace that'll be going on for many years hence. And there's a good chance that Activision, which have who have been, if I may say, in credit as a smaller side to Activision, they completely subverted anyone's expectations of um, of them in terms of. Their relationship with From Software—it's still to this day very incongruous that they produced it, didn't add any DLC, any anything like that. Um, and it's inspiring, I think. It's inspiring to see. So good vibes to them for that. And what I mean though is that if there is going to be something that I believe—I I don't know if it's something that you recognize and maybe absorb from working with miyazaki is there's a sense of coming around to the man's sense of coming around to the man's work ethic something that i'm hopefully i'm not out on too far of a limb in speculating upon but it seems as though the man generates a mood and generates a unified spirit of the project that he's leading and i think his producers have a deference to that his team have a deference to that and there's a there's a sense that these things are really authored by him and um it's also true that some of you listening may be. Hey, Albert, I think you may be overestimating George R. R. Martin's involvement, and he mentioned it in a blog entry. And uh, whereas, and and yeah, I don't want to go so far as like saying it's a certainty, but there's a chance that he moved on after just giving them an outline, a Jack Driscoll style <laughs> outline um, of fifteen pages. I'm referring to because it's just so close to. Chronologically, when they were made, um, King Kong 20, 2005 is there's uh, that scene where Idgin Birdie Brody <laughs> shakes the script in front of Jack Black and says, it's 15 pages, you know, it's, it's more than enough. But I don't know, something tells me, and I guess this leaps me back into what prompted me to want to record, is that these men, each of them over years, has defined themselves in their own sphere firmly, According to, if they did nothing else, they'd be remembered for their current works. So the question arises, why Elden Ring then? If not, and this is my speculation, for a combination of two things, number one is an opportunity for two kindred people to collaborate. That is the primary um, driving force behind this in a realm where if you think about Miyazaki at the end of Dark Souls 3 there was a real sense that he was almost going to leave the genre of dark fantasy behind and I think in that framing he would then have seen a return to fantasy as not only the last thing many people would have expected from him especially after something like Sekiro but then something maybe that would have been the last thing he would have expected from himself and I think that would have just flared up his imagination and... Obviously the only way that he was going to re-enter that realm is if he was going to, very much like James Cameron as I talk about on the Avatar podcast, is that he honestly doesn't enter an Endeavour unless he's doing something where he's pushing some form of envelope, innovating in some way, and I think that's what Elden Ring will be. So I guess in that sense it's three things. Kindred friends working together. Two, I think the longer it spends in development, the more this second point is confirmed to me that it is an endeavor of innovation for both men for both teams and i believe that it will be i think i might draw ire for this but it will be next gen exclusive i just don't see them wanting to spread themselves over two generations when there's ample proof that doing so dilutes either product one can hope one can hope indeed, just man, just doing some manifesting here in camera folks, <laughs> right. The third thing is as a loving and not overt, not one for one copy, but as a loving, subtle tribute to Tolkien that neither man has fully indulged themselves in. Obviously, as as you're defining yourself, you don't want to lean too heavily on the work of your teacher. You want to, and this is why, In this is a small little diversion into like parenting psychology, but if parents should never get too frustrated with their kid, no matter how well they've raised them, if they're in a stage of wanting to define who they are, They'll reject literally everything even the most kindest and most patient of advice is like they'll hate you for being patient they'll hate you for being impatient they'll hate you for being absent they'll hate you for being it's just they're programmed to resist and i think uh, there's elements in both dark souls uh, miyazaki's works in enti- overall and george r. r martin's works overall that i just pointed refusals to take the tolkien route um and i don't have to outline for each man which those are let's as a teaser trailer for each i'll say miyazaki's rejection of tolkien for dark souls is i think an outright rejection of um some of the optimistic themes i would say that tolkien brings through the darkness there's very little optimism for miyazaki i think he rejects that pointedly you know and for george r, r. martin there's a. Uh, such a prevalence of death and and treachery, and uh, this is the War of the Roses influence. And um, I think there's an influence from Dune as well with the machinations and the schemes upon schemes, you know. And uh, a quick little aside about the schemes upon schemes. I wonder if uh, with some of the allusions in Dark Souls 3, for instance, of, you know, family members of Gwyn you know, betraying one another, etc. with like the dancer and of the Boreal Valley and such. There's a speculation that I have that, um, you know, considering it's one of his, well, I I suppose you could say heroes, but they're pretty close in age, I would say, are they? You can never tell, like, it's one of the blessings of being from Japan is that you, 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 unless you treat your body real bad, like you haven't you have a at-birth advantage to just kind of look super young, like, forever. So, like, shout-out to all Japanese people for getting to look young forever. <laughs> Hope I'm not profiling that. It's just what I've observed. And that's a, and either way, it's a cool thing, I think. Um, enviable, definitely. Um, so I can imagine Miyazaki saying, look, it is so against... I th- and that's another thing, folks. I think he also saw the challenge almost like an Olympian, it's like, what do I do? Like, now that I've won all this gold, what do I do? They just, they find some new radical angle and they might find themselves inextricably drawn to approaches that in the past they rejected. Um, And for that, I wonder if he's saying, well, you know, I've trained forever in like warm water for my swimming or whatever. Maybe it's a loose example, an uninformed example, certainly. But what if I trained in, in like, completely cold water like the thing that i've been rejecting all this time and i wonder if uh miyazaki had some sense of that is like i'll i resonate with him imagery wise but I, like i've never really allowed that much lore and that much to be unveiled in my storytelling i wonder i wonder and i think in the interest of wanting to continue this path this growth path which fumito me kojima they all have these edicts this ethos and, and the James Cameron's of the worlds that they give themselves regardless of the there's no temptation for these men to sit on their laurels. Like it's there, the laurels are out right there, you know. They've they've accomplished already, they don't need to do more and yet they pursue and yet they attempt and try and push. And I think nature itself, you know, the tree doesn't suddenly go, Oh, I've I've grown tall enough, I guess I'll stop there. It's like the natural pulse, this goes into my patterns and the quantum myth and the symbols and kind of swirly stuff that I draw uh yeah it is a uh, tribute to that an eternal thing that nature does which is like no matter what it just grows outwards 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 so I think he also wanted to do that and just say well perhaps that's also one of the inspirations behind the the prevalence of the tree imagery uh, for him and tendrils and roots and there's there's a lot of that with uh, especially in 2 and I think there's a there was a lovely meme before of like people trying to say this you know Elden Ring is essentially Dark Souls 2 2 it's the sequel to Dark it's the spiritual sequel to Dark Souls 2 and certainly there's some motifs there that I wonder if it could be another thing maybe he might be doing is you know I took a brand new direction for 3 which was a a, a quasi tribute to 1 but what about taking ownership of 2 in terms of two's visual language and Miyazaki fying 2 because he was it was a little bit absent from that production so maybe that's another sort of thing as he's kind of looking about himself and saying what am I bringing into this what, have, what am I addressing that I haven't addressed before and uh it's so good that in the glimpses that I've seen of his office he surrounds himself with these influences um that he informs himself uh, mythology wise and I can only assume because he's much more agnomatic he is the anti-Kojima he's the anti uh rock star developer thing and each man have their merits um I wonder if I don't want to start any flame wars or anything, but as an introvert, I I think I resonate more with with Miyazaki. I I have made many 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 episodes of, of uh, Kojima analysis with the Kojima podcast, which used to be known as the, dex, the, 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 the Death the Death Stranding podcast. Sorry, it's it's a bit late, folks. <laughs> so. How about that also, that interesting element of DSDS, you know, Dark Souls, Death Stranding, and how each of them have this element of the um, the other appearing as a phantom of sorts, maybe as a very subtle nod that Kojima did to Miyazaki. And uh, Demon Souls as well, DSDS. So, tiny little things that I don't know, people, uh, if it's an unconscious thing that happens during development or if it's a little Easter egg nod, it's like, just just so you know, this thing that I'm doing with Tommy L Jenkins, who I, it was really cool, I got to speak with him, he's lovely. Carlos del Toro, you know, his image, his uh, um, visual appearance, you know. Oscar winner for The Shape of Water, yeah, he's in it. Ooh, you know, Mads Mikkelsen and uh, Leo Seydoux and uh, Lindsay Wagner and um, Norman Reedus, etc. All of that, yeah, all that, except at the same time, What I'm going to name it is going to be a tiny, subtle little tribute to Demon Souls and Dark Souls, in terms of that acronym. Remember, Kojima is, just to dip into it a little bit, he's very intentional with his choices. And he loves his acronyms, like, you know, yeah, like, look at how he capitalizes things willy-nilly. He's definitely an Evangelion fan in that respect. The unexplained acronym, like, we still don't know what dooms means, but I digress so i want to branch off a teensy bit into as we were talking about actors i would love to see and i would love to see some comments from folks maybe writing in we do have elden ring podcast at gmail.com but i would highly recommend adding me just at the podcast itself here on instagram or at me as albert Kessa anywhere i'm albert Kessa everywhere albertche and i chiefly want to hear your casting choices Vocally, I don't think he'll dip into full-blown death Stranding style facial animation rigs, etc. I don't think that's a From software thing. Although, at one point things evolve, and there's a chance that uh, what Bluepoint did with the, the moving mouth and etc. There, there could be a chance that um, that teaser trailer we saw, the leaked trailer, was very early work, and uh, one of the things he might be wanting to innovate in, after having dipped into Deracine, which we have Deracine now. Derasene, excuse me. The Derasene podcast will explore the game chapter by chapter and manifest a adaptation by Guillermo Del Toro, but again, another digression there. And, yeah, please write in. I would love to hear what your thoughts on who you think would be a nice... I mean, I, I think frankly, they should retroactively add um, Peter Serafanowicz to all of the Miyazaki titles. I would love for him to be this Easter egg, this sort of Bruce Campbell appearing, the Bruce Campbell um, to Miyazaki's Samurai just appearing everywhere, just like patches, I guess. So, uh, I'll go into some some direct imagery now. I I'm going to speed up our lovely little glide over, um, because I do love my tangents, but you know, as long as they've been additive. I feel as though they've been, but uh, I open it up to you as a byproduct of this kind of self-chronicle is to share it with the world. is a very, very, um, it's just a wonderful repository, the YouTube and the anchor and how it auto- auto-populates to all the podcatchers is wonderful. So um, imagery-wise for fellowship, I mean, this concept of uh, the Nazgul, for instance, the flying mounts. I can't. I can't uh, undo this. This vision I have of uh, of flying mounts for Elden Ring. That at some point, three fourths through, the title, you'll be able to mount up one of these dragons and fly across on this magnificent horned dragon that you can name or whatever, and it'll just have this small element. Maybe there's a, a meter attached to it that you can only glide for a, a certain number of flaps or whatever, but. Certainly that would be beautiful, and I'm uh, manifesting that for the Dragon Age as well. Um, cinematics is going to be such an interesting thing, storytelling. I think there's such a, you know, if, if Miyazaki is taking the, if George R. R. Martin is the, the Shakespeare, very loquacious, many words, then I would say Miyazaki's on the sort of Samuel L. Beckett side of the theatre experience. So I think he has a sense of not wanting to, ruin the silence with too many words so characters i, I struggle to imagine that there would be ah oh, you know so like it's like fable style which we do have the fable podcast as well with uh kelly and lice lovely people and uh sean has replied of uh, the lore hunter wonderful wonderful individual working very hard one of the foremost creators in that elden ring lore sphere at the moment certainly i think the most prolific alongside the uh, Mordecai releasing those update videos I hope he's alright I, I sometimes worry for my brother Mordecai with those daily you know identical wording apart from the name of the episode you know changing from day to day changing the date so uh, yeah <laughs> oh, it'll be good to get him on the show and hear other words from that man's mouth it was very it was a relief to see him speak about other things when there was footage released you know um i'll uh, I'll wrap up the the fellowship flyover with um the depths folks the Moria the idea of being able to dive as we saw in the trailer, the allusion to the under you know the the underdwelling imagine this experiential side to games, which is for me so important the ability to just to explore the world and without. Too much molestation from enemies you know without being waylaid by like you know foes from appearing anyway. which is is one of miyazaki's like purviews like he he does he does like his suddenly appearing enemies and uh the no pause thing and that's the whole other uh, discussion itself at the moment is the presence of a pause screen but um little diversion into mind's eye cinema now imagine folks just close your eyes or whatever wherever you are like cooking cleaning the house, studying. Just imagine that gameplay reveal trailer, hopefully something like 7 to 10 minutes long, where we will see, very similar to in the lead-up to Sekiro, we saw, ah, there's a pause screen. Pause screen. Um, There's spells, there's uh, lore entries. For me, one thing I would love is for there to just be a a beautiful, dedicated lore book, I wonder. Very similar to Atreus from God of War. Just a straight-up lore book, I mean... The item descriptions are great, but they feel incidental, and that's that's a benefit. I do like the the mystery-stoking incidental quality, but maybe there's a hybrid that can happen where it is an actual selectable option in the screens of uh, Elden Ring. You can just go and just stop and pause and read, and I think one thing that maybe George, I don't know if he had any <laughs> mandates, but maybe he said, look, I've played those Elden Rings, so those Elder Scrolls games, and I know you guys don't do much of the scattered books, but... Uh, How's about, for the whole game, maybe 10 books instead of, you know, the Elder Scrolls have something like 700 books or something in Skyrim alone, I think. Shout out to the Shoddy Cast, an amazing, sadly, seemingly defunct lore series, which I hope they return one day, so... Wouldn't it be amazing to have their grand return be, you know, uh, this wonderful deep dive into the lore of Elden Ring. And I'll just, look, I'll put out a... a a forked hope, a forked manifestation into the into the cosmos. I'll just sort of put it on record here is as a, I am manifesting ongoing titles for both Elden Ring and Skekidor because I have complete faith, very earned, hard earned faith in a world where people can still let you down, in, you know, first world problems like over overarchingly when a a oh, video a video game companies let me down. It's like, oh okay, buddy, alright, like maybe donate some meals to maybe help out the Amazon on fire at the moment, so the reality checks always. Um, But I could see, yeah. I could see that. Um, My my flyover continues and it wraps up. So Moria, we talked about the underground. Imagine just wandering around with like a torch at night and then just coming across a beautiful ornate chest and the first thing you see of it is like the little golden glimmer and you know there was that beautiful unreal engine playstation 5 uh, introduced by jeff keighley tech demo of those ruins where you could see like the cobwebs and everything and imagine just undiscovered tombs and such you could just come across like this beautiful ornate chest and find some sundries inside and a big lore book about the many armed one and i'll take a smaller side here with the uh, what I think was a direct tribute is that the hands, it just hit me, the hands at the start of the Elden Ring trailer. We see them in the Fellowship of the Ring and then obviously expanded in the Twin Towers, the hands of Gollum. And it hit me and I just couldn't unsee it when I saw his hands. It's like there's a particular, just the knobbliness the of them. I was like, oh wow, that is a subtle tribute in the same way that imagery-wise, you know, Miyazaki pays tribute between Berserk and Dark Souls, definitely with armor, and then also recently there was a uh, a direct panel, a couple of panels from uh, Berserk, just, it was a straight up Bloodborne Hunter talking about the hunt, he had the same hat, and it was by a fireplace in some, you know, stage of the story. I did a big, beautiful read-through at work, sometimes you need to kind of just do a, a reset at work, you're looking at sort of work-related screens, and I just have there in the bottom left... A little um whenever i need to kind of refresh my eyeballs i just sort of read up on stuff and i just had a text only version of the berserker wikipedia and i sort of did a glide over of that plot and magnificent it's it's later on in the analysis section which i didn't read fully because you know i just want to kind of stew in my own sort of thoughts about it first but i did read about the sense of it feeling almost like a tragedy like a greek tragedy and i and i want to mention that that i i I think one thing that could another thing that the two men have in common is a is a sense of this sense of the forlorn sense of the 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 magic having that's shared with tolkien as well i think maybe even sourced from them from him um jd cronice from the sword actually when i spoke with uh, conrad keely age of winters read throughout the lyrics it could either be uh, you know, uh, lore passages from any of these worlds. Gigi, he's an accomplished writer, and I hope to see a novel from him soon. But uh, long gone are the ages of the alchemists, etc. Like, many item descriptions for Miyazaki end in a sense of, that's it, it's ended now. You know, the world has fallen into ruin, etc. And I would like to see that preserved. I don't know, I don't want to be a dana, but I I think this. I think it makes you cling to light all the stronger i think that's something that the the miyazaki titles have done really beautifully for mental health ironically is that they're these dark scary you know especially bloodborne people have voiced uh, you know that this is it's an outright horror game but emerging out of it emerging victorious because of that darkness there's i saw a tattoo actually is uh without the on instagram i'm a lady i think she had a tattoo saying if the um darkness wasn't there the light you just wouldn't be able to tell where the stars are and it's uh, obviously predates a instagram person's tattoo but it's applicable and i would love to see that i think that's a a realm of the spectrum of light that i i think that that's appropriate for elden ring and obviously that you can see them expanding beyond that we're not looking at something as outright dreary and drabby as as Dark Souls, even the Dark Souls has its own limited palette, I see the Elden Ring palette going way wide, uh, wider than any of the other Miyazaki titles, and definitely um, George's titles as well. In terms of uh, entering into, now that we've uh, made our way through uh, uh, forests, first of all, I mean, if we're talking undoing, if we're talking rowing and boat riding, gosh, folks, let's talk about that. Imagine Making your way and just choosing, you know what, I'm just going to make my way across the Elden Ring world by boat and big, beautiful streams, Anduin style. And then we have the reference of God of War. And imagine if there's a a mode you can activate again, maybe in this unexpected, innovative way that you can choose a story for the narrator to tell as you ride, as you, sorry, paddle your way across. Um, That would be beautiful. Just to hear tellings of the ages of old wonderful certainly certainly and then for the music to swell as you're making your way through this you know and maybe there's a chance of being attacked i guess while on the water but maybe the water could be seen as like a safe room i would i'm actually quite swept off by that idea and i hope something like that's implemented obviously horse riding is confirmed and something similar could be the case for horse riding of you know as you're making your way Um, by horse like to just have something maybe maybe automatically you can set it in a menu or something is like you know toggle it on and off it's like during horse riding have stories activate 30 seconds in or something or same with riding I think I mean the triple whammy would be amazing is like you first you encounter horses fairly soon I think that's going to be a defining aspect of Elden Ring that they maybe in the first couple of hours of the title you'll be on horseback and then halfway through the story, you're on. Not to turn this into Diddy Kong Racing. <laughs> a little levity for you there. I do love my Diddy Kong Racing with all the different vehicles. But yeah, halfway through, we're talking. Yeah, suddenly discover the ability to, like, if you see a, um, a boat moored, you can fast track that, you know, make your way to the various different kingdoms and zoom back out up to the map a small thing that i just humbly request is that for some reason even in the remaster of uh, final fantasy 15 the royal ultimate edition it's a nitpick it frankly absolutely is but there's still some weird pixelization going on with the map there and it it, it it's just strange. I will not say it like First World-tastically frustrates me. Ooh, but it's like, why, why when I zoom in, do I still see pix- pixels? We're in, we're, it's the PS5 generation now, come on. but That's a very small nitpicky side. Honestly, if they don't do that with this, I won't bat an eye. But, you know, won't even say it was worth mentioning. But maybe just to kind of justify it, it's definitely in my mind's eye that as we're going through, you can click a button, zoom all the way back up. And look at where you are in this river and see where, you know, you can pull up to these towns... These these townships. Which I wonder if they will... If he will make that dip and say, look, all right, it is time. I think maybe I've I've looked into these games enough. I've stuck to my scattered narrative. I think I'll I'll use this invitation from George being involved with the story. I'll use this to, you know what, here we go. Okay, merchants. um, We had Majura. Maybe the Dark Souls 2 motif allusions is a subtle way of saying we are going to have a couple of Majuras in the world, where there'll be, you know, inter-settlement plots to resolve, where with the likes of Dark Souls 3 we're talking different areas, you know, Grey Rat, he'll be in one area, you go to another area, and it won't be so much areas as big, of distance, and then towns between them, and I think one thing that will be... It will, I mean, I'm talking about a map as a as a given. There's a chance that Miyazaki may have a no-map mandate, similar to the Pathless, and certainly that would be challenging, but definitely interesting. And uh, I think that's it. I think it'll just be a big exercise in, you know, balancing what he knows to be his defining style with what he is looking at bringing into his style, you know? And I, I admire this sort of, you know, bands that, like, Master On and... Gojira and, uh, uh, you know, um, we're talking Meshuggah and tools, etc. Like, they they bring, I mean, Mashuga are pretty, they're pretty defined, like, in, in the sounds that they go for. But, uh, you know, certainly, like, like I don't know, Fleet Foxes or whatever, like, and like, or to or just go into tool, I guess, they, they bring in some elements, but of those, I, I would say Gojira are the ones that they have some have found some way of always keeping their original sound but then bringing in just additive elements that just add a depth and life really and i think that's what we could be looking at elden ring could be what uh, miyazaki strove for with sekudo and uh bloodborne and dark souls demon souls but with just more life injected and that could be reflected in i would say i mean the day night cycle is confirmed you can see and that's beautiful already that's huge already for me And I think wildlife definitely is. Is we're talking for? I think that's going to be one of the signs that just like with when you came across this in like uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, for example, it's like oh wow, I can just go out and just spend a bunch of time. I think that'll be very strange, actually. You know, some people go across uh, Bloodborne as an activity just to kind of relax. They go hunting souls, but imagine non-shock, non-combative resource gathering. You know, with Bloodborne. obviously you can crash into pots and stuff, but it feels very, almost like scrounging, whereas there's a chance because of the sort of bountifulness, the generosity of the world, and how it isn't quite fully gone. There'll be some element of the tragedy and the the loss of what once was, um, but there'll be some sort of resource gathering. I really am manifesting that, so... And, uh, yeah, so... But entering, uh, and uh, we'll leave maybe some of the Return of the King stuff into later episodes. But to, to open on uh, the two towers is, um, first of all, towers would be amazing. Just like imagine an entire dungeon looping up as you... I, oh, but by the way, what I'm doing, folks, is you're talking about things in, in the frame of and in reference to, so I highly recommend this if you want to sort of blow open your perspective about something. Is like, you know what, I've never talked about Zelda in relation to James Cameron's The Abyss or something, like you pull something out of left field and you say, well, you know, let's talk about that. And, you know, the references, you know, the, you're cross-referencing these two. Well, have we ever talked about an extensive underwater Aquaman style Zelda experience? And then you dive into that and it's worthwhile unto itself because you're just stretching like a law crafting and speculative analysis muscle that you wouldn't have, you know, you don't want to make things too outlandish. Like, oh, (laughs) Lord of the Rings and Rugrats from Nickelodeon. It's like, no, that's obviously way outlandish. And it's late, by the way. It's like 1 a.m. or something. So no wonder a couple of out there things are are occurring to me, but with like that. But I think Tower's beautiful. Uh, We've talked about catacombs. We've talked about going deep down. I'd love to go all the way up. I'd love some realm in the clouds. Uh, I don't know. I feel as though that forge is somewhere we'll be able to visit, maybe. Maybe I think that that's something that maybe as another element again we we think of things as uh, I think Masanov talked about this is like we did on this album something we weren't able to do before at the, for whatever constraint reasons, but I think Miyazaki has such like I think of all the creators this sense of restraint and integrity in knowing that okay I know that this is an opportunity for me to to really dial it up and and go next best thing next biggest thing but i i never go full on ham where i'm just blowing out all of the stops and then just losing myself in this sort of revelry of just unrestrained expression i think he always keeps the story and the integrity of the the art piece in mind that's why i call him definitely an artist same with george rr R. martin there's a balance to what they each do and i think some of the for example with the star wars of the world they've they've dipped into an imbalance because they just they lost the sense of what the thing in its entirety needs to be and that it needs to be this living breathing thing and each of the Lord of the Rings films have that so. uh, In uh, non-horse-like mounts we're talking wargs from Two Towers that would be beautiful to see Um, and uh, man balrog-sized enemies something I mean we're talking huge huge Uh, We know that with this open-world environment and uh, with Miyazaki's kinship with Ueda, there's a chance that he may indulge with these, especially you see the large colossus head there, that immensely, unprecedentedly colossal enemies will be a part, and I think he's working right now, or has been working on mechanics to make that Interesting, And he's like, well, this is a realm I've never entered. It's just been slash slash duck or stab stab duck or sh- protect protect and shoot shoot. But uh, I want to open this up. I want to be platforming. I want to, you know, use this thing of uh, imagine. I'll leave you with this as we come come up to the hour. But Sekiro grappling your way as this agile roguelike up this giant colossus's body. And um, it may be one of the corruptors of the trees. And uh these beings of immense stature need to be taken down so that they no longer harm the trees or whatnot. And each of them, you know, with a very subtle allusion to the, you know, in these eight realms, each of them have this... uh, And they wouldn't all be entirely humanoid, obviously, just like with uh, Shadow of the Colossus, but uh, that's just a little take there. But another thing could be, uh, you know, you encounter the ruins of these creatures and um, you maybe enter some separate, you know, Assassin's Creed uh, origin-style realm where you sort of... You touch the ruin and then it's like, just like with uh, Waldir, you're brought into like a combat arena realm and you, you fight them, but uh, I think they will fully avail themselves of this world they've developed and uh, everything will just be in engine. That's another overarching manifesting thing that I, I think will be the case, is that minimal to no cinematics with this. Um, and uh, I think one of the last things I'll 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 leave off on. Obviously, we have Shilob coming with the Return of the King. Like, uh, I mean, I'm sure Miyazaki has some sense of, you know, what it's time to put my mark on the giant spider motif. Maybe a giant dragon spider. You know, uh, he is, I think, unparalleled in his. Uh, and he would just this would like it has zero chance of going to his or his team's head because they're just so like such diligent workers with what they do they don't see themselves as like having innovated but they have frankly the from software and i can speak very freely about this the from software enemy silhouette is so unique the long arms the small head the the gangliness and it, and i even drew parallels i think it's on, on my old reddit accounts of um this is out there it's it's late but you know muppet christmas carol you have the yorm the giant-tastic uh, ghost of christmas future and stuff these very frightening and this is um, something that Henson does with his uh, creatures, he, he'll give them extra long arms, and same with Cameron with like the Alien Queen. There's a sense that uh, he has like that little, that little, you know, tip, tip of the hat to the '80s designs. Uh, something that looked like it could be puppeted by Henson, you know, so, some of these things, especially Murgos Witness stuff like that. But to leave you on something that, uh, as well as you know, dragon riding, we could be seeing our way to similar to I don't want to spoil, but 3-2-1 spoilers for the Pathless. Uh, by uh, Giant Squid Studio, is that the ending of that title is um, that you fly, you fly up into the into this firestorm, this uh, lightning storm chasm, and it's a whole other realm up there. And imagine that reveal, folks, that you've been, you know, exploring this deep, beautiful, detailed world with like fish swimming. I don't know if you'll even have a a mini game. Maybe Miyazaki really sees this as his chance, to, you know. Here we go, I think he may even have said no, Zelda. One of my favorite games is like, well, this is my chance. A brighter world uh, with uh, different uh, rule sets. Obviously it'll retain my style, incorporate George's storytelling, but uh, here's my chance. So Miyazaki's fishing games, Miyazaki's happy, ha- happy households or rather happy townships maybe. And uh, imagine if he decides to you know, spring something as, as is what he did with um, Bloodborne, he just said, "Look, hey, a whole other realm awaits." With Bloodborne, it was a realm of subject matter, with uh, going into from the beastly Bram Stokery to the Eldritch, you know. But with this, imagine as you ascend through these canopies, and all of the trees are saved, and it's these uh, you ascend up this tree of light, this uh, this uh, stairway of light up, you know, Lothlorian style, and you enter, and it's a brand new realm, and just as big, as an expansive as the realm below. And uh, a mid-story, you you thought this was over? Here we go. So I'll leave you with that, folks. It's been wonderful catching up with you all uh, in this uh, discourse with this title that awaits us all. And let us manifest soon, in June, new reveals and uh, information. But in the meantime, there's plenty to dive into and I uh, hope this has been additive and uh, I enjoyed having you all with me as I dove in. So be well, folks, and until next time, Bye for now.